You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, Mike White coming at you with a very special episode of The Projection Booth. Kind of a little odd thing that I was involved with recently with Jay and TJ from the We've Seen That podcast. They brought along Joanna Langfield from the Movie Minute and John Cross. You all know John Cross from the After Movie Diner. And we talked about A Few Good Men. Uh, Again, not necessarily a movie that I would have thought to cover on the podcast, but was invited along and... I like the movie. I actually saw it a few times in theaters way back 25 years ago, and that's kind of what spurred this, is it is the 25th anniversary. In fact, I went to see this at a dollar show, and uh, they were... It's a, It was an anamorphic movie, but they were uh, showing it without the proper uh, display on the, the, uh, the projector there, so everybody was really tall and thin, And I sat there for probably about five minutes just waiting for somebody to get up and go tell them uh, that there was a problem with the projector. But nobody did. So finally, I played the hero. No one thanked me when they finally fixed it. What are you going to do? But anyway, it was important enough that I didn't want to see a very tall, thin Kevin Pollack throwing one-liners around. I wanted to see the regular, short, squat Kevin Pollack laying it out there and strenuously objecting. So let's go ahead and play this episode. If you enjoy this, please check out Joanna Langfield's The Movie Minute, Jay and TJ's We've Seen That, and of course, you have to check out John Cross's After Movie Diner, John, friend of the show, and quite a nice guy. So let's go ahead and play this episode. You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands, ask him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. Those having business with this general court martial, stand forward and you shall be heard. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September 6th, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate. They woke him up, tied his arms and legs with tape, forced a rag into his throat. A few minutes later, a chemical reaction caused his lungs to begin bleeding. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. Do you think Santiago was murdered? Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy. But he is dead because he had no code. He is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. How do you feel about that theory? Sounds good to me. I'll knock it all down to involuntary manslaughter. No deal, we're going to court. No, you're not. Why not? Because you'll lose. You want to investigate me? Roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who were trained to kill me. So don't think for one second you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. You men follow orders or people die. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You! But if this case is handled in the same fast food, slick-ass, Persian bizarre manner with which you seem to handle everything else, then something's going to get missed. In the heart of the nation's capital, in a courthouse of the United States government, one man will stop at nothing to keep his honor 
and one will stop at nothing to find the truth. Well, welcome into what is a special broadcast for all of us that are on this current call that are all hosts and or critics and or movie buffs. This is a special edition of all of our shows because we're talking about the 25th anniversary of what we all believe is a classic movie, A Few Good Men, starring Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, and Demi Moore. My name is TJ Reeves, and I host, along with Jay Betzel, a movie podcast show called We've Seen That. Say hello, Jay Betzel, if you would. Hello, everybody. Good to have you here with us. Let's introduce our other guests that are with us. Joanna Langfield uh, hosts her own program. I'll let you introduce the name of your program and your podcast and your website. Go ahead, Joanna. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. I am Joanna Langfield, and my podcast and my website and everything, I try to keep it simple. It's called themovieminute.com. Check her out at themovieminute.com. Okay, also with us in the New York area where Joanna is, is John Cross. Welcome, John, and tell us about your show and your site. Uh, well, my show and my website uh, is the After Movie Diner and aftermoviediner.com. Yeah, I just love movies, and uh, today I went to get a photograph taken for my new permanent resident car because I've been in the United States 10 years, but I couldn't handle the booth. Well, hopefully it'll work out for you someday. Now, we we are definitely international. We are definitely crossing uh, the international date line because Mike White is with us, and Mike is not in the continental United States like we are. Mike, introduce yourself and tell us where you're from and what you're doing. Hey, everybody. My name is Mike White. I'm uh, with the host of the Projection Booth podcast over projection-booth.com. And yeah, I'm over here in China for right now. I'll be back in the good old United States in about a week or so. But uh, yeah, so I can tell you a little bit about tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow sucks. So <laughs> go back to bed, America. <laughs> so time we're talking, we've woken Mike up early and we've had all kinds of technical fun to get all of us together, all five of us together, even though we're all in different locations. Again, we've got Florida, Texas, New York, and Shanghai all represented to talk about a few good men. So, uh, look, I think there's a couple of givens. We all enjoy movies. Uh, This movie is a classic. It's the 25th anniversary. So let's begin with this. Ladies first. Joanna, I would love your opinion first. Why do you think a few good men has held up as a dramatic classic 25 years later? You know, I sort of freaked out when you got in touch with me and you said 25 years because I will be honest and I'll tell you that I have been reviewing movies professionally long enough that I reviewed this movie when it first came out. And so I've been around a little bit. Um, and so 25 years to think that it was that long is a little scary, but I think it's deserved because the movie, you know, it's so interesting now when you think of the timing on this thing, the fact that we're celebrating this as Aaron Sorkin's first film. And Aaron Sorkin, of course, has a new movie coming out, Molly's Game, and that's opening Christmas in the United States. So this was a great splash for him, but it really started when the piece as a theater piece opened on Broadway. And it was highly acclaimed. And then, of course, you know, as they used to do back when they did a lot of just straight dramas on Broadway, they took the thing and they made a movie out of it. What is so compelling? I mean, there are so many things that are so compelling about this, but the the look at what goes on in the military, 
We're talking again about very interesting subjects that got a lot of attention then and obviously haven't been solved because we're talking about abuse and we're talking about men and women and we're talking about masculinity. We're talking about a lot of stuff and a few good men. And it went places that a lot of other theater pieces, movies had not previously. And also it's so well acted. When you look at those scenes with Tom Cruise and with Jack Nicholson, I mean, that's just thrilling to watch. So it should be a classic, even if it is 25 years. It's got that thing that all sorts of American movies that are considered classics kind of have. It's got the all-American thing. It's the, the, the military is the subject of it. You've got baseball in there. You've got Tom Cruise in there. You've got the wisecracking sidekick. You've got daddy issues. You've got uh, masculinity and, and bravado and braggadocio and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's all sort of timeless because everyone is, is mostly in uniform for most of the film or at least in kind of generic casual clothes the film doesn't date in that regard it is about themes that continue to run and have always been part of human nature whether it is specifically in the military or whether it's at school with people being bullied or whatever or peer pressure or whatever it is there's sort of timeless themes this is also coming on it's sort of at the end though um, but it's coming out the back of Rob Reiner's sort of real winning streak in terms of the films he was making. And a lot of his films have that quality of old Hollywood. And even though they're made in the 80s and the 90s, they have that quality of being timeless. It's it's no putting on A Few Good Men or putting on When Harry Met Sally or putting on Stand By Me or, or any of those films. You could as equally be watching a movie made today as you could be uh, watching a movie that was made in 1950. Just the American of it and there is something about that that is familiar and warm and fun to go back to and a few good men is definitely one of those movies that if it's on the tv you sit and watch it there's no like there's no way to not continue watching it even if you've seen it a hundred times as most of us have well i think this is one of the best courtroom drama especially uh, when it comes to one of the best uh, adaptations of a screenplay from a stage play this one doesn't feel like it's bound to the stage. There are certain movies where it feels like you're expecting a curtain to drop at a certain point to announce that the, the first act is over. But A Few Good Men, I think it does a really good job of breaking away from the stage. Obviously, the courtroom scenes feel a little bit stagey, but that's just because it's a courtroom. But there's a lot of times where I forget that this was a stage play, as opposed to something like, I don't know, Six Degrees of Separation, where you feel like Will Smith is speaking to the back of the audience where this one has a lot of subtle acting. Rob Reiner knows how to use the camera. And to John's point, this was, to me, the end of a, you know amazing tour of Rob Reiner, starting from, you know, this is Spinal Tap, all the way up to A Few Good Men. He stumbled after this with North. Well, stumbled. He, he, he crashed uh, and burned after this with North. And I don't think he ever recovered from that. But A Few Good Men was kind of the pinnacle of Rob Reiner as an amazing American director. Well, I can verify that Jay Betzel and I, who have been friends now for several years, will constantly call each other whenever this movie is on and start reciting lines. And I hear you guys <laughs> laughing about that. So I already, I already sort of know this answer. But, Jay, the floor is yours. Why do you believe that as, as we're taping this on the 25th anniversary of A Few Good Men, it's held up for as long as it has as a classic drama 
courtroom military drama? There's so many reasons. I mean, first off, as a classic, which I believe was the question at the beginning, was it's got just some straight-up movie stars, Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland. It's like everywhere you look, it's big movie stars, and the acting is amazing. The writing, Aaron Sorkin, is amazing. Like this, this basically introduced us to Aaron Sorkin, and we ended up with Malice, The American President, The West Wing, Social Network, The Newsroom, all these great things. You know, and this was kind of the beginning of all that. Plus, you know, as a fan of Tom Cruise, the movie star, earlier in 92, he had Far and Away, which was kind of a bomb. So this kind of brought Tom Cruise back to the the leading man movie star, which kind of led into the firm and the others that kind of came after this. And plus, you kind of mentioned, I believe it was John that said every time it's on TV, you kind of watch it. Whenever I see it, it could be on TNT or AMC. It's one of those that doesn't even really matter if it's on one of the commercial channels where it's edited. It's just such a great movie. You can just watch it all the way through and kind of just flip the remote over your shoulder and you're locked in for the next two hours. I think my favorite aspect of this movie is the ensemble. That's what I'm really getting from it. I mean, the script is incredible. And of course, they, they need that to really all work together. But for me, it's, it's, it's the cast, the acting and the ensemble. Uh, you can probably hear my dog going crazy in the background there. I'm, I'm, Your dog I'm, is agreeing with you. I'm, Your I'm, dog agrees. Yeah. It's the ensemble. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, she has a bad jaw. She can't handle the tooth. But no, it's definitely the ensemble. Like, everyone is pulling out their A-game here. The, 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 the funny thing is, is that the, the one of the things about the movie that, to me, and this might be my cold, hard, uh, cynical, English, repressed attitude, but that the earnestness of Tom Cruise in this film it, it kind of rankles with me. That's why I think it's really, really good that you have uh, Pollock there as his sidekick, kind of given the little one-liners and things, because that kind of takes the edge of uh, uh, Tom Cruise kind of trying to be Mr. Wonderful, you know, uh, in, in absolutely everything. But to me, it's definitely the ensemble. It's the performances. It's the cast. The cast is incredible. It's those people saying those words, always charming to watch, I think. I think Tom Cruise is a very good actor. I think he is underappreciated as an actor because mm. there have been several times when he has co-starred with big stars like Jack Nicholson, like Dustin Hoffman, Paul Newman, that he was literally in almost every scene with the other star. When you're doing a duo kind of performance like that, those other stars always got the recognition. Tom didn't because he was the straight man. But those guys couldn't have done what they did if they weren't bouncing off of him. Maybe it was Paul Newman who actually recognized Tom and said that about the way they had worked together. And they, I know, became very close personally, but you can see on screen when there is a, a dual situation going on, just the two actors, you know, bouncing off of each other like that. I look again. And if you have a little, I mean, I know everybody has a whole Tom Cruise thing, but watch what he's doing. And I think you might be surprised. I completely agree with you. I think Tom Cruise is, is actually a really good actor, and I've actually enjoyed him the more that he has lost that kind of like all-American earnestness and become a bit more snarky and crazy and weird and wonderful on screen. Um, so I actually, I actually agree with you. I think he gives really great performances, and I think his performance in this is really great. I just, in my own uh, sensibility is one to kind of scoff at overwrought earnestness. That's all I was saying. Now, it's really great to look and see that Demi Moore is in there. She's working with all these men and they wrote and they acted 
a group of men working with a woman and everything's fine. Nobody's falling in love. No one is doing sexual abuse. No one is doing, you know, there's, they have a good working relationship. And isn't that nice to see in the fact that this was done 25 years ago and it's taken us 25 years to get to where we are now is a whole other conversation, I realize. But I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yep. And it's even in a military setting. All right. I'll quickly go to Mike White. Favorite aspect or part of A Few Good Men? Well, I got to say the dialogue. When I was working at a movie theater, this was a trailer that I saw over and over and over again. And so the whole Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy speech. Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy. But he is dead because he had no code. He is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. That is something that we would say to each other at work all the time. Of course, the whole you can't handle the truth scene is fantastic, but there are other moments to this that are, are equally as good. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland, to John's point, the whole idea of the ensemble, Kiefer Sutherland is barely in this movie, but he makes such a huge impact. J.T. Walsh, uh, I mean, Christopher Guest, for God's sakes, just all these little uh, little roles add so much to the greater piece. And again, it just speaks to how well they all come together. And how will they do it? And in our main, some of our main characters, like uh, I always want to call him James Hurley, but uh, James Marshall, right? He does such a great job when it comes to just the little emotions on his face and just his confusion. And again, those dialogue pieces are just uh, riveting. Just it, it crackles with electricity. Well, my favorite part is the whole thing, because I think this movie's perfect. But just for the purpose of this question, I really liked the rapport amongst the lawyers at the beginning when they assigned the case to Tom Cruise. I thought that was a lot of fun. And I, I liked the part. I know the, the you can't handle the truth. The climactic scene gets a lot of pub. But the part when he asked Jack Nicholson for the transfer order, I think that's really intense. And then also, spoiler alert, the ending, whenever they actually get convicted of the conduct unbecoming. Because I think that's realistic. If they'd have gotten off on everything, it would have been a ho-hum Hollywood ending. That's a few little things I love. The dialogue in this movie makes the movie. I mean, there are no special effects. There's no there's no $200 million budget on blowing things up and, and aliens and that kind of thing. It is the dialogue and the acting that makes the movie that part of the aspect. Hey, Mike, you made mention of Kiefer Sutherland and his performance. Uh, is that the actor who stands out the most as a supporting actor in this movie 25 years later? Would it be Kiefer Sutherland for you real quick? For me, I love J.T. Walsh, and I just his role in this is just one of my favorite bits. We lost him you know, quite a few years ago, and that, that was a tragedy because he was always so good in everything that he was in. And his spoiler alert, his suicide in this movie was so intense that for years later, after he even died of a, a heart attack, but I kept thinking, oh yeah, he killed himself. Because I would just always picture him <laughs> committing suicide in this movie. I'm sorry to laugh, but it's just like, oh my God, it was it really just brought me to my knees watching that scene. And yeah, he was just, he was always so good. And here he is trying to do the right thing. Just his his role in this, I, I thought was wonderful. And like I said, I could never take my eyes off of the guy, even when he's kind of in the background, even when he's there with Jack Nicholson, who is just chewing on the scenery like crazy. But J.T. Walsh, he's got the presence to just command a scene. J.T. Walsh is one of those actors that every time you see him in 
every kind of a movie, every kind of a different performance, he nailed it. And I was lucky enough to get to meet him a couple of times and talk to him. And he was just the best. He was please so tell me, fun. please tell me you asked him about playing uh, Lieutenant Colonel Markinson. We talked about a lot of stuff, but more, I'll tell you what we really talked about, which I remember more than anything. He, we talked about some of the people he worked with. And he was the kind of, he wasn't an actor who went off and learned his lines and was separate and hoity-toity and he couldn't, he was in there talking with everybody and having a great time. As a matter of fact, he almost came out to dinner with me and my husband because that's the kind of guy he was. And I said to him, you know, he said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of hanging out here in New York and I didn't, you know, and I said, well, just come to dinner with us. I feel so bad that you're by yourself. He said, honey, this is my town. I, you know, I'm in New York, baby. <laughs> he was just adorable. And you knew when he walked out of that hotel, he was good. I was only in a hotel with him for professional reasons, by the way. Right. Um, yeah, it was a junket. So, you know, you knew that he could walk into a bar and the whole place would just surround him and love him and know him and he would know them and everybody would be great friends by the end of it the same way he was on every single movie set i've been lucky i've, I've met a lot of people over the years and he's one of the few people that i think i can say that about i'm a as big a fan of jt walsh uh, as there can be big fan of him uh, but as people have spoken so eloquently about him already i'm gonna go kevin pollack it's early in his filmography I think the only other kind of really big film that he had done before this was Willow. But he is great in this movie and makes a mark on this movie, as I say, with his deadpan witticisms and his little uh, uh, side jokes and things like that. And he sort of takes the edge off what could be an incredibly uh, sort of oppressive, serious kind of film. And, you know, we know that obviously at the beginning of the film, uh, Cruz's character is very kind of casual and laid back and funny but obviously during the film he's got to you know he's got to become more and more engulfed by the uh you know serious and disgusting nature of the the crime that he's uh trying so having kevin pollock there it just it, it helps if you're a fan of comedy like i am then it just helps to have that uh, that side sidekick there just doing his stuff. And, you know, obviously he then went on to do, you know, The Usual Suspects and other films where, uh, you know, he really shines. And and actually, as much as I like his stand-up and his podcast and other stuff that he does now, it, it's a shame that he's not doing more character actor roles. He could really have done some really great character moments uh, if he'd continued doing that. And unfortunately, he just always kind of gets cast, I guess, as Kevin Pollack now. But, I mean, it would... It's uh, it's still a great performance, and I still think uh, a nice little addition to that uh, trio at the center of this film. This movie would be so intense without his little lines about having no responsibility whatsoever. <laughs> and all the you are talking about is his, his baby pointing at a mailbox. You know the the stuff that he did kept this movie kind of flowing. You know, in, in that that way where he was he was a, he's a stand up comedian, obviously, but I mean he's such a good actor, and I think this kind of showed off a little bit of both. And also, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention Kevin Bacon, because this movie was so important to Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. This one in JFK, I believe, <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of tied to everything. So I'd, I'd go with those two. I will interject two things about Kevin Pollack. I saw this movie as I was dating my soon-to-be wife a few years later, uh, and she's tapping me going, 
that guy was at Gator Growl. That guy's at Gator Growl, and I didn't know what she was talking about. What she means is that the University of Florida, for their homecoming football weekend, has a guest come in, either a musician or a comedian, and come into the football stadium in front of tens of thousands of people and entertain the night before the homecoming football game. She had recently seen Kevin Pollitt as the comedian at Gator Growl, and so to John's point, he hadn't been in much in terms of films. He was known more as a comedian when he made this movie. And the other thing is I got a chance to meet Kevin Pollack. Uh, this has been at least a decade ago, and I did have to get off a quick question about a few good men. I said, what was it like to be on that set every day? And he looked at me and kind of deadpan, other than being scared to death every day. And I, <laughs> I, I said, understandable with the cast that he was with. So uh, I, I like what all of you say about Kevin Pollack. I still got to go Kiefer Sutherland because I'm such a big fan after this of all the work he's done, including 24, and now the, the new series where he's playing – the president himself is designated survivor. Uh, he's great as Lieutenant Kendrick here in, in A Few Good Men. So I give it up to him uh, 25 years later. We didn't mention uh, Demi Moore. Uh, actually, Joanna is the only one that's really brought up her character in that situation. Mike, give me your opinion of her performance and the character Joe Galloway, what you thought. Well, gosh, uh, Demi Moore, it, I used to love watching her performances. And the other reason I say used to is because I can't think of the last thing that she was in other than maybe Charlie's Angels 2. But she was fantastic. I think I'm the only person on this panel who doesn't necessarily like Kevin Pollack as much because there are a couple – there's like one – sour note for me when he is talking about why he doesn't like the guys that they're defending and it just seems a little too heavy-handed but then he kind of counters it with this whole idea of the back and forth between he and joanne where he's talking about you know no no i strenuously object that is probably one of my favorite moments with him but she yeah she holds her own in this and i love that back and forth between the three of those characters and also, just kind of going back all the way to the beginning of the discussion, when it comes to Tom Cruise, I totally agree. I used to be a huge Tom Cruise fan, and I think despite myself, I still am a huge Tom Cruise fan. I, I watched The Mummy. I didn't like The Mummy, but I watched The Mummy. He is amazing, and he has so many great moments in this. And I know that I'm not talking about Demi Moore right now, but he has so many great moments. The way that he purses his lips after he does that whole, you know, uh, are we clear moment? You know, just the, the little facial ticks that he has in this are fantastic. But yes, I, I, uh, going back to Demi Moore, I really do enjoy her character and I am very appreciative, uh, to, to the earlier point about that there isn't the heavy handed romance part of this, that they are co-workers and that this kind of go does go back to like more of an old Hollywood style where you can have two people working together and they don't have to sleep together. I really am glad about that, that she is a strong female character and that she holds her own in this. I'd like to see the Joanne Galloway sequel where she goes out and does her own thing. Maybe make that a TV show. Could be the, uh, the follow-up to this movie. I think the role is wonderful. And again, as I said in the beginning, I will go to my grave being appreciative of the fact that there were this, they were working together and they became friends eventually. And there was respect. And that's what you needed. What I, it was interesting when I first saw the movie, I wasn't crazy necessarily about her performance. Um, it grew on me. And, you know, that's one thing I will say, you know, when you're doing this for a living and you're running into these screenings and then you're supposed to regurgitate out a review in five minutes and, you know, you kind of, 
sometimes it's better to see things a few times or to live with them a little bit before you make some big pronouncement. But of course, we don't have time for that. I found that her performance was a little like, nah, she's, I don't know, looking a little nervous. What's going on? As I watched it over and over, I grew to respect that she allowed Joe, her Joanne, her character to be a little nervous among these guys and then to kind of find her way. And it's a much more subtle way of doing things. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin and subtlety are not exactly hand in hand usually, but I, I grew to really respect what she did. And I, Again, like you said, I, I really wish that we would see more of her. I hope she's okay, and I hope that she will be able to uh, get some work. I was always a fan of Demi Moore. I was a big uh, Brat Pack fan growing up, so uh, I always liked Sonoma's Fire and About Last Night and One Crazy Summer, and she does some great roles there. But, I mean, once once she's getting into films like A Few Good Men and then follows it up with Indecent Proposal and uh, Disclosure and various other films going forward, she's, she has that ability of projecting strength through the screen, uh, which all the best uh, actors do. And uh, it's it's so relevant and vital in this film. You know, at the beginning of the film, like I said, Tom Cruise's character is very, uh, you know, he's lazy and casual and thinks he's just like the hippest guy and is doing his own kind of thing. And then, as, as we said, like Kevin Pollock's got that kind of sardonic wit. She's the one that's really the driving force behind sorting this out and, and, and getting this to trial and all the other stuff at the beginning of the film. And, and it's so, she's so important. She's such a linchpin to that trio. So, uh, and she does the role effortlessly. I think, I think the thing with people like Demi Moore and Tom Cruise is, especially back in the nineties, they get so associated with being Demi Moore or Tom Cruise in the eyes of uh, people through the celebrity rags or whatever it is that people forget that when you watch them on screen, it's effort. It seems effortless what they're doing in terms of their performances. They're so strong and they're so uh, watchable and they're so uh, um, good uh, in their roles um, that, that you kind of go, Oh yeah, but they're Demi Moore and Tom Cruise, but, but they're not, they're like Demi Moore. There's a reason why they are the stars that they, they were, or they were the stars that they were at the time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of her performance. When she made this, she had made Ghost in 90, and then she had like three complete bombs in 91. So I read, actually uh, cheated and did a little research for this. I read that she was going up against Jodie Foster to get this role and that she got it. So that tells you a little bit right there because Jodie Foster was coming off Silence of the Lambs. So from that end, you know, hooray to her. But I do think that she did a good job in the, I believe Joanna was mentioning how she looked nervous. Because I think that added kind of a human quality because when she strenuously objected, she was really trying to help, even though she really messed everything up, you know, and when she spoke to Aunt Jenny and kind of conned her way into the deal, you know, it was kind of like an innocent thing because she wanted to be on there and she kind of just made her way in because of Tom Cruise letting her call Aunt Jenny. And I think she did a good job in the movie and I think her character was pretty vital because she is the one the whole time that believed because Tom Cruise wanted to plea it out. Kevin Pollack didn't want any part of these guys. He thought they should go to jail forever. And she was kind of the the force that kept it going. We kind of broached the subject of the climactic scene that everybody's seen over and over again. If you know nothing else about the movie, you know the uh, that you can't handle the truth and the and the climactic scene where uh, Danny Caffey gets Lieutenant Colonel uh, Nathan Jessup to confess on the stand. In your opinion, who got the better 
of that scene between the two actors. We know what the outcome is, how the scene is written, but who who got the better of whom acting in that scene? What would you say, John? I love the scene. It's like the culmination of the mystery. You know, courtroom dramas in their way are like detective films. And normally, you know, I can't handle the sleuth. But in this one, Jack Nicholson gets the moment. It, it, and, and again, this sort of comes back to what I was saying about Tom Cruise's earnestness. He's fantastic, and, and he's definitely displaying the earnestness in the way that he should do, in the way that it's written, and he's certainly putting his all out there. But there's something about Nicholson. There's just always going to be something about Nicholson. He is just so magnetic. In this film, you absolutely love to hate him. He's an absolute bastard, and everything about him is repellent. But but he is just so convinced of his own BS that it's just sort of fantastic, um, and and it's it's wonderful as well to kind of see his fall after that event as well, you know, like after that event you see his uh, demise and it's it's richly deserved, of course it is, but it, it it all pins on on him in that scene and and I do think he gets the better. I I the you know Tom Cruise does a lot of like hand thumping and hand waving and red facedness and uh, and Jack just sits there in the chair and says the line and. You know, everyone stands and applauds, you know. When Jack Nicholson goes into the whole, we live in a world with walls. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. That is one of the best bits of dialogue. So even though they are sparring, he wins when it comes to what he has to say, and even more than the way that he says it. But this is Jack Nicholson, and this is Jack Nicholson giving, at this point, uh, a rare, great Jack Nicholson performance. He's not just being Jack Nicholson. So he's kind of fallen into that same trap as Al Pacino, where Al Pacino is now just Al Pacino. But Nicholson occasionally can break out and be something other than Jack Nicholson. And he, you know, you, you mentioned the name, Nathan R. Jessup. We know that name and we know he is to John's point, such a bastard. And I love that it's his hubris. That is his undoing. And that it is finally when Tom Cruise, when Daniel Caffey figures out that he is so full of pride, that that will be the sword that he falls on. Lead him right where he wants to go. Right, Mike. I think the sparring between those two characters is fantastic. But yeah, I have to say Nicholson just has the the rippling dialogue that I talked about before. They couldn't have done it without each other, but I think Nicholson wins. What I will say is there's a lot of talk right now. There's a movie 
it's just starting to hit theaters called Call Me By Your Name, actually won Best Picture from one of the critics groups. And there's a scene at the end that is so amazing because Michael Stolbart has an incredible little passage. He has a speech. Very different from this. Totally different, opposite, 180 degrees. But he just sits there. He doesn't move. And he just does the speech. And that kind of reminds me of what Nicholson did, sitting in the chair, just talking. <laughs> you know, you can't take your eyes off him. <laughs> and that's great acting. You don't have to do all of the, uh, you were talking about the red face and the this and the that. You know, you can. And I think in that, in this case for Tom Cruise, it was very appropriate. But you don't have to do that. You can just say the words and everybody's going to watch and they're going to listen. And it's very cool. Yeah, I'm very curious where they're going to go with this because I, next year they're going to do a live TV presentation of this. And I believe Alec Baldwin is playing the Jessup role. So I'm curious how much he will be yep. channeling Jack Nicholson at this point. Good to know on that one. Jay Betzel, I'll let you weigh in quickly on this before we move on to one more subject. I'm just going to just play devil's advocate because Jack Nicholson is awesome. I'm just going to say Tom Cruise for the purpose of arguments. And, you know, you, you look at the color of money, he deferred to Paul Newman. You look at Rain Man, he deferred to Dustin Hoffman. You look at Days of Thunder, even, he deferred to Robert Duvall. But in this one, he just goes toe-to-toe. And, you know, there's a part where Kevin Pollack says, you should have seen yourself thundering away at Kendrick. It's almost like the he's really thundering away at Jack Nicholson, and this is Tom Cruise v. Nicholson. It's like a heavyweight fight. Or, like, I'm a sports fan. Obviously, it's like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan going each other in their prime. And it was just really amazing to see so probably the winner of that scene is really aaron sorkin because he's the one that gave it to us kobe and and michael's not larry and magic going all the way back to the 80s in the basketball with the celtics and the lakers i'm gonna go back uh the one thing that i would interject here is that in watching we always love the extra uh, features and bonus features on dvds to hear rob reiner tell the story that nicholson was going full out in full voice in every take even when he was not on camera when they were using it for the other actors cutaways he would go all out in that role and nicholson's response to rob reiner and i'm going to butcher the impression but i'll do it anyway robbie it's acting i love acting robbie and so that i mean that and, and he literally apparently in full voice went all out as jessup over and over and over and over again over the course of two or three days in that scene even when the camera was not on him so just yeah, that was so, more of a going south jack nicholson than a few good men jack nicholson. yeah not not good with a southern draw probably i need to work on that at this late hour all right uh one more for each of you again i will begin with our, our lady uh, amongst us uh, joanna this movie did not win the academy award for best picture unforgiven did for all the, the compliments of jack nicholson he didn't win best supporting actor gene hackman did for his role as the sheriff in unforgiven a lot of people would lose a bet, probably, that this movie didn't win Best Picture uh, and, and Nicholson didn't win Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards at the Oscars. What, what about that? Do you agree? Did you agree at the time? Do you agree now? I do agree. I think Unforgiven is an amazing piece of work. And I just have a thing about Gene Hackman. I know he's amazing, amazing, amazing. And again, you know, you talk about these actors who go nuts and they're demoting all over. He never does that. He just embodies the role. He's so incredible, Hackman, and I miss him. And I wish we could just drag him out of where is he, Santa Fe, mm. and tell him to stop painting. And we just want to see him. But I also think, you know, surprise, surprise, there's politics in these things. And I think that people were so shocked 
to see what had happened to Clint Eastwood and his whole sort of evolution at the time, because this was a man who had started out uh, making his his mark really in westerns and movies about violence, and to make a movie that was a western that was non you know a, didn't want violence it was anti-violence was such a surprise to people he did it so well and gene hackman was so good and aren't we lucky that we had such great competition Mm. 25 years ago and i hope this year too it'll be the same thing that we have these actors and writers and directors doing incredible work for us to be able to enjoy not just the year that we see them but going forward I don't place a lot of stock in the Oscars, especially um, after Dances with Wolves won for Best Picture. So after that, it was kind of game over for me. Quick and to the point, John Cross, what about you? You fine with it 25 years later? Yeah, I'm fine with it. Both films are completely uh, classics uh, in their own right. But also, I'm not a big fan like uh, my my fellow uh, country person, uh, Judy Dench, won for like being in uh, what was Shakespeare in Love for like, 10 seconds or whatever it was. Um, and, and so I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of sort of giving, uh, uh, like a stunt casting or stunt cameo shot an Oscar. Like I don't really, you, you know, I would, I would more sort of look at someone like, a, a Kevin Bacon from this movie or, uh, uh, Demi Moore or someone as a supporting actor rather than, um, necessarily, uh, Nicholson in the role. But Hackman is phenomenal. Uh, I echo everything said about Hackman. I recently got to see um, Scarecrow, which I, I didn't even sadly didn't even know existed, and I got to see it on the big screen in New York, and was just every performance he does uh, blown away. So I mean, Hackman definitely deserved it. Nicholson has won for other stuff, right? Since then or before then? That's correct. Uh, yeah, yes. I believe one for Terms of Endearment at least. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he he, he also missed. already had one. So there we go. Right. <laughs> Good on that. Jay Betzel, you find 25 years later, you over it that this movie I'm, didn't win an Oscar? I'm kind of going to go ones? like the nostalgia route. Like I know like, you know, a couple of years after this in 94, when there was Shawshank and Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump one, there was a lot of people that had their feelings there. And this one here, I remember going back in the day that a lot of the talk was Unforgiven was going to win because it was Clint Eastwood's time. Kind of similar to Scorsese's time with The Departed, where Jack Nicholson was in and acted completely crazy. But in this particular case, like I said, I'm going to kind of go with the nostalgia and feel like I think A Few Good Men should have won because I like Unforgiven, but I love A Few Good Men. And, and Gene Hackman, I know, had won an Oscar for, I believe, it was The French Connection. And we know Gene Hackman was great in one of our favorite movies, Hoosiers. So yes. it's not like you can really lose here. You know, it's not like I, I agree with you on Dances with Wolves. It's not like Goodfellas not winning. You know, so there's there's <laughs> one of those things where I don't I don't look at this with like a, a lot of animosity. But if they had asked me and I had a vote, I would have voted for Jack and Tom and for a few good men. Love it. All right. So here's what we're going to do to close things out from each one of our hosts here. One more time. Tell us about uh, your podcast, about your website, and then if I if I left out anything and you want to add something else about A Few Good Men, any comment for 20 or 30 seconds, we'll do that. Joanna, we'll start with you. Again, plug away, and then give us a final thought on A Few Good Men. Go. Thank you. Okay, I'm Joanna Langfield, and I hope you'll come and find me. I'm online at themovieminute.com. My podcast is The Movie Minute, and you can, of course, subscribe, or you can find it on my, you know, it's, it's all over the place, and it's on the website, too. I do a lot of reviews of the movies that are coming up 
to your theaters right now. I hope that we'll be able to talk online, on podcasts, or whatever. But I appreciate being here with you tonight because being able to look back and to see these really great films that we can cherish and we can push people to see if they haven't seen already or to watch again, to, to appreciate the finer points of these things. I think as we were saying before, everybody kind of remembers that last scene, but there's so much else in it leading up to that. And even after that really is stuff that we should be proud of as just people who love movies. And I hope that people will be able to celebrate this anniversary by taking a look. John Cross, go ahead, plug away, and a final thought on A Few Good Men. Yes, hello, I'm John Cross, the Englishman in New York, and I have a website. It's the after, what, aftermoviediner.com, and the podcast is the After Movie Diner podcast. Uh, I also do another show called Doctor Action and the Kick-Ass Kid, which is far more kind of sporadic. I don't do that all the time. Uh, but that is as if MST3K did uh, met... Cheech and Chong, I guess, not although we don't smoke pot, uh, doing reviews of 80s and 90s or doing commentaries over 80s and 90s action movies. So it's kind of like that. Derek and Clive, if anyone's heard the British um, uh, comedians, uh, Derek and Clive, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, uh, it's kind of like that. Uh, but anyway, um, check out AfterMovieDiner.com. And my last thing about uh, A Few Good Men uh, is is really one of the reasons, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. That's the first thing. And one of the reasons to watch this film, um, as a lot of people have mentioned on the show, but it's to go back to a time when films were actually written and there were actually scripts and someone had actually thought about the dialogue and the plot and the characters and da-da-da-da-da. And, yeah, there's, there's a whole ton of things in A Few Good Men that were cliche even at the time that it was made, but they are warm and wonderful and welcome uh, sort of americana cliches and i and I, I i dig that and i kind of hate going to the movies these days and and not getting the same kind of thrill of that really strong delicious dialogue and a plot we can all get involved in and characters that represent a different thoughts and opinions of ourselves and and i kind of miss that in movies so go check this out mike white who has joined us from china one more time plug your show, your podcast, your website, and a final thought on A Few Good Men? All right, yeah. I'm Mike White, and I'm the host of the Projection Booth Podcast, which is over at projection-booth.com. You can just Google Projection Booth Podcast, and hopefully, if I've done my proper SEO, you'll be able to find me okay over on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio and all that fun stuff. I just want to thank you guys for having me as part of this conversation. It is great. I don't normally talk about movies that are even though this is 25 years old, this recent, I tend to go back a little bit further. And I would say to that end that if you guys want a great double feature with A Few Good Men, definitely check out The Kane Mutiny with Humphrey Bogart. If you guys haven't seen that movie, you really need to. And I think that these two movies would go really well together. Yeah, you're right. Good great call. double feature on that. Like that. Jay Betzel, plug away for we've seen that. Okay, you can hear TJ and I on We've Seen That. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We've Seen That. You can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. And my last thing I want to say about A Few Good Men is this is such a special movie. And every time I watch it, I've probably seen it all the way through 30 times in bits and pieces about 100 times. It's just like visiting old friends, and it's so great. And I'm really glad that it never got remade or there was a sequel with tom cruise working at a law firm somewhere and i know that there's the talk of the alec baldwin tv show coming soon but 
this is one of those where if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I'm glad that they left well enough alone. I, uh, I love it on all of those points. Again, Jay and I kind of go back and forth about these movies off the air and off the show. In fact, he and I were talking in advance of this show that when Tom Cruise writes on the legal pad, when they're trying to find out what where they're going with the testimony of Loudon Downey and Loudon Downey. Uh, wasn't in the room when it was allegedly given, and we see the cursive, beautiful, teacher-esque handwriting on the legal pad. I say to Jane Bessel, there's no way that Tom Cruise's handwriting is that neat. That's a school teacher's handwriting. That's somebody else's handwriting in the movie. That's how technical we sometimes get on our show. But and I, I had I Tom that. Cruise's back. I said, I think he can write cursive. I think he does. You think he can write that neat, that legibly. <laughs> yeah. On the legal pad, and of course, Demi Moore famously writes the question, and then we get the bombshell that Downey wasn't in the room for the order to be given in a few good minutes. It's a great movie, and I've enjoyed greatly uh, getting to talk about it here over the course of really about the last hour with Joanna Langfield, John Cross, Mike White, and Jay Betzel. All of you did fantastic. Thank you for your time. Good luck shows. We may be able to reprise this again and do it with another movie down the road, but thank you for giving us the time here, all of us collectively, to share and chat on the 25th anniversary of A Few Good Men. Thank you. Thank you.